0: Welcome to Every Day Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with
1: anxiety and depression. Hi, everyone. This is Michael Ann. I'm here today with Alan Paoli. He is a CMHC, a therapist at Revere Health. We are excited to talk to him today about what do we do about children's negative self-talk? Um I think as parents and caring adults, we we know that situation where let's say we've got a 12-year-old who you're trying to get them to do their math homework and they're just like I'm so stupid. I can't do this. And when you try to coach them through it or like give them, you know, affirmations that they are smart enough, they just get angry and they shut down, which can sometimes result in them not doing the homework at all. And we start to get afraid for what is this going to mean when they get to high school and college? And it starts to really aggravate a lot of our anxieties and our fears and even just our day-to-day frustration. So, Alan, thank you so much for being here today.
0: No problem. I'm excited to be here and help out where I can.
1: Yeah. So um, let's start first with thinking about you know, kind of this situation and, um, how often our first instinct is to just jump in with like counteracting that negative self-talk, like, no, no, sweetie, like you're not stupid. Is that where you would start or why might that not be the most effective place to start?
0: You know, that's probably not where I would start. And unfortunately I wish this was a problem that was unique to a specific age group. Uh In fact, um, I I did a, uh, a little bit of a blog for Revere Health back in April where the administration asked me just to identify a few of the trends and patterns that I've been seeing over the last several months or even the last several years. And one of the very first things that came to my mind was this, this kind of concept here, Mm. this, you know, this negative thinking or or what we sometimes refer to as stinking thinking, because Mm -hmm. it's not always based on, uh, actual or or, or even a a very factual basis. And unfortunately, I found that oftentimes the biggest abusers of people are themselves. Mm -hmm. And I really think that if we were to print off a, um, a document on everything that people thought about themselves or said about themselves in a given day and shared it with somebody, I really think we would be quite mortified about what our friends and our families and our loved ones and even ourselves think about on a regular basis, mm-hmm. because so much of it does tend to kind of drift towards this this negativity here that we're just kind of rampant across our our culture, unfortunately,
1: yeah, yeah. I believe that. Um, and it does seem to start pretty young. And I think it's it's unfortunate how how mean we are to ourselves. And as parents and caring adults, we don't want our kids to grow up with that same monologue in their heads that we know we have, but we feel, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure even what would help me like deal with that. someone just saying, well, just think better thoughts doesn't necessarily help.
0: Yeah. It's almost a little bit of a, a, of a too simplistic approach. And I don't think it really goes to the core of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I like to or at least I try and avoid what I refer to as symptom-focused treatment. And that's when a problem comes up and we immediately want to tackle it based on on the symptoms that are being presented. Mm -hmm. And to me, I kind of liken it to chasing a chicken around a room.
1: Uh Um,
0: Eventually, you're probably going to catch it at some point, but the problem is what do you do with it once you catch it and how much energy are you going to expend in trying to catch it? And so I'm a little leery with jumping right in and wanting to problem solve immediately. And so I tend to take a little bit of a slower approach with uh, these kinds of situations. And I'm going to be, uh, I encourage parents all the time to be very curious about what's going on and, and asking uh, maybe some, some deeper questions. For example, my 13-year-old daughter uh, a couple of months ago kept telling me over and over, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And of course, you know, as a father, you know, or as a parent or even a teacher or any kind of care provider, your first reaction is to say, oh, let's get some sleep. And as I was listening to her talk about stuff, I kind of gently nudged her a little bit. And I said, every time I hear tired, I almost hear I'm sad. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, this immediately just opened the floodgates to her becoming very emotional and talking about a lot of different things that she was experiencing as a seventh grader and as a 13-year-old female. And it was really, uh, you know, from a father's perspective, it was really quite um, enlightening because I was surprised at some of the uh, stress that she carried around and some of the worries that she carried around that really has just been weighing on her for you know, some time. And just by listening and and asking some additional questions, I was able to start to get to the core of those particular issues. And so I think in this example here, I would just do that. I would just be curious and and, and maybe take a pause and shift the focus to some other things. Um, So often when I work with even my kids that are in DCFS custody or JJS custody, for example. I take a little bit of a non-traditional approach to how i i problem solve with them and one of the first things I like to go to for example is I found that even taking you know these kids or or, or youth out for a you know a drink or a snack um, goes a long way because you know I, I may have a child who uh, is home from school and they missed lunch because maybe there's an argument at school or or any number of issues that may come up from uh, just living and, and learning to, to interact with one another. I think it's important for parents and, and caregivers to keep in mind that these are essentially young adults in the making. And they've got all of the same stress and responsibilities that anybody else has, but maybe on a, just a little bit of a different level. But but the biggest difference is that they're trying to navigate it for the first time, whereas adults, you know, we typically have got lots of great experience to help uh, to to fall back on, on on how to deal with these particular challenges.
1: Yeah, man, there's so much there that you said that I love. I wanted to go back, actually, to something you said kind of towards the middle where you were talking about getting curious with your daughter There's a couple of things that I noticed and I, I, you know, I've, I found with like therapist types, you know, that you you do this almost instinctually, but I wanted to like highlight it and draw it out so that other people can see how they could do this. You know, one thing that I noticed about how you said that to your daughter is like, you mean, like when you said, um, I wonder when I hear tired, I wonder if that's sad. It's just so simple, Right. Um, you didn't like sit down and like say, we're going to have a conversation now about how I think that you're very, very sad. Right. And and you also um, didn't say, well, clearly you're sad. You kept it like really open and really light. And that feels like the keys, like the key ingredients to success to me.
0: Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I Despite, you know, I've been a therapist now for over 15 years and I was a social worker before that for about four years. And I'm always amazed at how unique each individual person is. And I've also learned that even if I'm pretty confident that I know where to go and I know what the answer is, it's always important to allow that process to unfold. And if for nothing else, just to allow that I could be wrong, which is very Mm -hmm. viable. And I wasn't sure if I was right on this. I was just kind of questioning about it. But one of the things I found that really helped in this situation, even if I was wrong, was that it becomes very validating. It says, okay, I don't want to jump in and problem solve immediately. I want to sit and I want to listen and I want to have a discussion with you and I want to go on a walk or I want to go do something with you so I can at least, you know, have the kind of relationship where we can have the dialogue and talk about these issues that are bothering you. And it may or may not be the actual problem, but just giving a chance to vent and, and talk about some other issues is a way to really hit on the point that's really getting to them at that face.
1: Yeah. And one thing I want to emphasize when we talk about Everyday Strong and like how important it is to meet someone's needs it's really easy for that to become a problem-solving thing, right? Like the example you gave about how you might take kids out for like a, you know, like like a shake or, or fries or something. Um, we talk a lot about the importance of, you know, meet someone's physical needs in, her, in order to help them be resilient. But it's not like, oh, well, you're hungry and we're going to solve this problem by getting some food in you, right? It's like, I'm going to show up and just kind of be there with you and notice like what's happening and think about how I can help you on your journey. It's this really subtle difference that I'm hearing you articulate.
0: Yeah, and sometimes I'll have kids, we'll, we'll go out and grab a you know a, a drink from like Swig or So Delicious mm-hmm. or any one of those other places, and they might only have a few sips of it, and they're not horribly interested in it, Right. but it, it becomes almost like a, a little bit of a peace offering of, hey, I, I don't understand what's going on, but I care enough about you that I'm trying my best, and I really want to know what's going on. And by the way, here's something that I can give you, in order to help, kind yeah. of ease into that that dialogue there.
1: Yeah. Oh man, that's really really good. I love that, and I think it's um, it's so hard, right? When when we see our kids struggling, and we start bringing all of our own fears to it, and even just our frustration of like, I have to get dinner on the table. Like, why are you refusing to do your homework again? Like, just like you're capable. I know you are, right? Um, do you have any tips for sort of centering ourselves as caring adults?
0: You know, and and I think what you said kind of goes without say, I I really feel like the, the generations that are progressively younger, just almost kind of come to the table already with a lot of great insights and ability already. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go back to this, uh, uh, another one of my daughters who, um, she needed to get braces and the dentist had let us know about it and said, it, it, it's really time. But for whatever reason I had kind of dragged my feet a little bit on it and I didn't get it quite when I was supposed to. And so and this daughter comes to me and says, dad, I, we need to get it done. When can we do it? And I said, well, what stops you from doing it? Is it possible for you to call up and get it scheduled? Mm. And she kind of looked at me a little surprised and said, I didn't know I could do that. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Go do it. Get it set up. Let's let's get the evaluation done. And and of course, she did it and scheduled the time and made sure that I was available. And we went in and got the treatment planning done. And then I was able to go in for the first visit. And then the nice thing that happened after that was every subsequent appointment with the orthodontist, she was able to go in on her own. Mm-hmm. And the thing I, I was really excited about was, one, it was a little bit less work for me to do, of course. Uh But the other thing I got the most excited about is that she started to feel empowered, that she could take on some of these, you know, mature responsibilities, but also knowing that, you know, mom and dad are going to be in the background to support her just in case a problem comes up. And, you know, I I think as a therapist and as a father, one of my most favorite, favorite qualities to building up that self-esteem and that resilient child is independence. Yeah. When they're able to go out and do things on their own. And even if they don't do it quite just or just quite right, they're still able to eventually figure it out and even see the value of, of their mistakes. And even seeing their mistakes is not something to be ashamed of or afraid mm-hmm. of, but just the part of learning. And when it's done well, it, it really, you know, creates that you know, awesome self esteem that we love so much to see in kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this so much. You know, building that sense of safety with them, you know, and building all the way up to their ability to be competent and confident by letting them go out and try it for themselves. I'm I'm curious how this would apply. Like I'm thinking again about um, you know, that kid who just sort of keeps saying, I'm so stupid, I can't do this math homework or whatever. Um I imagine there's a level at which like you kind of need to like, not in the heat of the moment, do this, right? Kind of let things regulate, let things get calmer, maybe like the next day or the next week. But how would you take that same approach of letting that child problem solve or kind of um, create the framework where they can problem solve rather than just trying to tell them how to stop feeling stupid?
0: I'm really a big fan of what I refer to as the what questions and not the why Uh questions. Because anytime you ask another person, and especially a child, well, why did this happen or why did you do that? Ah. The response is almost always going to be very universal with the classic, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or, or shrug the shoulders or something else like that.
1: And it, it just, it's crazy making as an adult, right?
0: <laughs> yes. And it just makes you want to pull your hair out and say, well, why don't you know? Uh-huh. But instead of the, what, the why question, I like uh-huh. to ask the what question like, well, what do you want to do about it? Or what do you think is going on? And even if they don't know, it starts that process going to where you can even reframe the questions to maybe a little bit of a simpler approach. Mm. And, and I think this is part of that empowerment process that I think, you know, our, our kids are looking for is the ability that they, or at least that they feel like they have the ability to, to meet the expectations are placed upon them. And especially when it comes from a parent. And, and the reason why I think it's even more important coming from a parent is because all of the research shows that the single biggest influence on the life of a child is mom and dad. Yeah. Period. I mean, I'm, mom I'm, I'm and dad. Very,
1: very glad you said that because every episode I bring that up, right? Like it's so so true. It's it's the that influence of that 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 relationship more than just your own skills.
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, there's a, a judge, uh, the, the judge down in Spanish for Judge Eldridge, and I've had this conversation with him numerous times where. Um, mom and dad have the greatest influence on what kids are going to do or not do. Siblings tend to be a distant second. And then contrary mm-hmm. to popular belief, um, you know, athletes and rock stars or, or actors or, you know, um, pop culture figures, they're, they're going to come in, you know, way mm-hmm. down the road. But mom and dads have the single biggest influence. And that's where it comes to, you know, nurturing that relationship and kind of massaging it along to where kids feel a little bit challenged but also feel supported at the same time so just in case there is a, a mistake they've got mom and dad right there and it's it's interesting to note too that you know one of the changes that DCFS made uh, probably you know 20 years ago is that they extended the ability for youth to stay in custody past 18 years old which helps with that that transition to adulthood. And it also comes closely to, um, following the pattern that children typically have with their own parents, where it's not just a case of, you know, they turn 18 and they're off on their own. You always need mom and dad, at least to a certain extent throughout your life. And especially as you transition into what I think is the most difficult years of late teens and early adult, uh, early adult years.
1: Yeah, and just to clarify, for any of our listeners who maybe don't know what DCFS is, it's, you know, the 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 government system that, you know, enables foster care and prevents child abuse and those kinds of things. So he's referring to that ability for a child to not just age out of the system, quote unquote, as they say, but to stay with that supportive caring adult. Is that is that accurate?
0: That's absolutely accurate. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm so grateful I get to be here with you twice a month talking about these big questions and concerns. And I'm especially grateful that our sponsor, Revere Health, makes it possible for us to do this work. We'll be back with more of this interview right after this break. What does it mean to offer the best health care? At Revere
0: Health... We believe it means improving patient health outcomes, keeping costs affordable for you and your family, and being your partner in healthcare decision-making.
1: With 30 medical specialties, including family medicine, and over 100 clinics throughout Utah, Revere Health is here for you. Revere Health, your partner in health, your partner for life. Find out more at reverehealth.com. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about, um, the concept of, of motivation. So we talk a lot in everyday strong about like external versus internal motivation and how so often in a situation like this, we're just like, well, she's just clearly not trying. you know, she's not even trying to do her homework. She's just giving up. And so we start coming in with all these external motivators of like, if you'll just like do your homework for five minutes, like I'll let you play on the Xbox for an hour or <laughs> whatever it is, right? And sometimes these external motivations are not as effective. I mean, maybe they have a place, but I'm I wanna hear your thoughts about kind of this mindset of like, well, she's just not motivated. She's just lazy. How would how would you approach that?
0: You know, again, this is one of those times where I'm gonna be very curious as to what else is going on. Uh-huh. And one individual i'm thinking of is uh, a young man i worked with who um was a great athlete in high school and excelled in all of the endurance sports but in the classroom he just struggled and it was to the point where mom and dad were having these same conversations of you know what's wrong with him why you know yeah. why is it that sports is only important to him
1: right yeah like like clearly he can try so why isn't he yeah
0: and I'm again I'm very careful about you know putting somebody in a in a box and saying, well, it has to be this without really looking at it. Mm-hmm. And in this particular individual's case, I was surprised at how serious his ADHD symptoms were. Mm. I mean, these were really pronounced and everything made sense as to why he did well in the endurance sports and struggled. Academically, because the in the endurance sports provided him with that way out, a way to kind of you know use up all that nervous energy. Whereas the classroom setting really challenged that area that he isn't going to do quite as well, and especially in a traditional setting. So I'm very cautious about, like I said, almost pigeonholing somebody and saying well, well, it has to be this instead of just exploring and asking some additional questions, very open ended, like well well, what about this? Or what about that? And I think when it's done in the right light, and when that relationship is intact, you're going to find that these children really start to open up and share some things. Even as a therapist, I'm I'm always surprised on a regular basis at how much and what information people will share with me suddenly out of the blue, because they got to a place where they felt comfortable, and they felt like they were being understood. And they felt like, even if I didn't understand per se, I cared enough to to really try and ask some questions and not say, well, this is your problem. And, and really, the, the reality is nobody likes to be told what to do or what the problem is. They, most people like to figure stuff out on their own. And when mm-hmm. they do, it tends to be very uh, even more empowering than it would be otherwise.
1: Yeah, gosh, I love this so much. Um, we teach a lot of skills under how to create emotional safety for your child. But the one that I always come back to over and over and over is just making it safe to talk, and really, like all that that skill is, is just closing your mouth half the time, right?
0: <laughs> so true, like, so true. And
1: and it's it's remarkable how much I mean, and not in like a blank way, but like a, a still being engaged way. But I'm I'm fascinated how also when I'm teaching out in the community, how many people say listening is what makes me feel safe. I think we're all craving that.
0: Yes, I agree. You know, this past week was fall break for the vast majority of the state, and I I think it was Wednesday or Thursday night, about 7 o'clock, my daughter says, hey, Dad, are you okay if uh, a bunch of kids come over to the house? And I said, it's 7 o'clock at night. Who's coming over? Uh And she said, oh, just a bunch of kids. It's fall break, and we're just blowing off steam. Are you okay if they come over? And I said, yeah, sure. Come on over. And so we opened up the pantry and got out the pizza, you know, the hot pockets Uh and the Uh You know, little pizza turnovers and yeah. everything else under the sun. And next thing I know, there's probably a dozen kids in my house. Oh wow! And, <laughs> and they were at you know somewhere upstairs, somewhere downstairs, somewhere laughing, somewhere crying, somewhere talking about different things. Sometimes they wanted me to come in and, and give them some feedback. Other times they wanted me to leave them alone. But just being that that warm and open yeah. and inviting uh, atmosphere where. You let them dictate and direct the the conversation with asking, you know, maybe some questions that are going to get them thinking about some other perspectives that maybe they wouldn't have considered before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just being open and and genuine and allowing them to talk without wanting to problem solve. With parents, I always joke that you want to be like Oprah Winfrey on the couch and just listen and validate, whereas sometimes, especially dads, and I I can say that because I've done it on more than one occasion... Mm -hmm. Where we, we fall into that Tim the Toolman Taylor where we want to go in and just yeah. immediately fix whatever's going on. And, uh-huh. you know, for you parents, if you remember the show, sometimes uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor overdid it and fixed things that really didn't need to be fixed yeah. <laughs> because he was trying to, you know, meet uh, perhaps that that need that he had to be helpful.
1: Right. Yes. Uh huh. I I love that you just said that. It's it's even us acting out of our own needs, which is totally human, totally normal, and we can be adults and kind of check ourselves. I'm actually on that on that vein of like kind of trying to fix people. I wanted to go back for a moment to the example you were giving about um the 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 athlete who had ADHD, and I kind of heard you saying this, but I want to clarify and make sure that I, I understood. Um. You know, it seems to me from what you're saying that even if you hadn't been able to diagnose that athlete with ADHD, like, there are a lot of kids out there who maybe aren't diagnosable, but there's still a way in which we can come at, come at the situation with just, like, that curiosity and, like, maybe there's something happening here beyond just, like, you know, being willfully defiant or something and so, I mean, it seems like from what you're saying, we don't necessarily need to like diagnose every kid in order to be empathetic.
0: I, I yes, I absolutely agree with you. And you're right. Not every child out there is going to have a diagnosable disorder, but just the, the simple act of listening and, yeah. and validating by asking those open-ended questions, making sure that you're not trying to step in and, and, and problem-solve for form or, or even minimizing what they're experiencing. You know, one of the things that as parents that we sometimes do is um, because we have experienced many of these feelings in these situations, we tend to look at it through adult eyes. and We forget that, you know, when you're a kid, school is everything. And, you know, the girl who won't text it back or the boy won't text it back is everything to you because that's all you have to compare it to. And Mm -hmm. so it's not, you know, a a little bit of empathy, I I think, in, in these situations goes a long way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to come in and like see our kids acting a certain way and think, well, like if they have this diagnosis or if they have this or that, then I know there's a reason. And then I can like, you know, be on board with it or something. And, you know, like diagnoses are incredibly helpful for so many people. And yet so many of us are just having like an average difficult time or we're just, our personalities are this way or something. And I just liked what you said about Tim, the tool man, right. And not Necessarily needing to fix every little thing, not needing to, like, diagnose every little thing, but just learning how to be with our kids and, and with whatever their experiences.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think as well, it's important that we, you know, take note that transition phases as well are also always going to be those times when we are at our most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, I mean, from junior high up into early adulthood, it is one giant transition of yeah constantly changing friendships and trying to figure out who you are as a person one of my favorite testing uh, instruments I, I love to administer especially with children and parents is the love language test mm. um, it's one of those very benign and easy first uh, assessments that we can give out that really helps explain something about who we are and there's not a person on the planet, I don't think, that doesn't love learning about themselves, yeah. especially youth and kids, is because it, they start to feel like, okay, this is why I think the way I do it, or, or this is why, what makes me unique or special, which of course every child is, but sometimes they may not always necessarily yeah. feel it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really easy, fun way to start a conversation even about how, how do you want me to connect with you? How do you want this relationship to be?
0: Yeah, I was meeting with a um, a high school student on Friday, and he was visibly annoyed with me being there. And I could tell by the way he was shielding his eyes from me that there was something else going on other than uh, what he was putting out there. And and so just in the process of exploring it, really helped to open up that communication. Uh, and next thing I know, he had lowered, you know. He had removed the hair from his eyes. He lifted his head up. And we just had a conversation about a lot of different things. And even though we didn't hit on anything specifically related to his diagnosis, it was still yeah, a yeah. very natural part of him growing up that, you know, there should be a little bit of discomfort and there should be a little bit of frustration because that's yeah. what happens when we go through that, you know, that that changing in it and that evolutionary process.
1: So do you have a sense of... um of anything that you did that kind of made them sit up a little bit and like connect with you more
0: I think really it was just the little things you know and, yeah. and you mentioned it about listening I mean we can't yeah. overstate what listening does yeah. and like you said it's not just sitting there and and nodding your head it's really about asking a, a question or oh my gosh that sounds that sounds really hard or mm-hmm. holy cow this is the stuff that you guys are having to deal with I you know I didn't have to deal with stuff like that that just puts you in a, in a very real, uh, relatable way. And, and the thing I, I think we forget about as as not just parents and adults, but as humans, is that oftentimes, probably the best gift that we can give others is probably the gift of our humanity. Yeah. We, we forget that everybody has got good days and bad days, and, yeah. and everybody's allowed to be tired and happy and experience the, the wide range of emotions. Yeah. You know, I was talking with somebody the other day who was experiencing the, the grief after losing a close family member and asked me the question, does it get easier? And I said, it'll get easier, but keep in mind, though, I, I want you to experience the grief because this is part of being human. And it, right. And it makes you very relatable and it makes you um, easy to connect with from others who've been through these kinds of experiences.
1: Yeah, I love this so much about, like, the gift of our humanity Um, I feel like there's a lot of internet advice about how to like validate someone's emotions. And it's just like these very like scripted words of like, like, you know, your emotions are valid, (laughs) but that never really makes me feel good when someone just sort of does that script on me. What does make me feel good is what you just said about when you're showing up with that full chested, like, gosh, that sounds really hard. And I can tell that you're feeling a little bit of what I'm feeling And I'm thinking, if I'm that 12 year old who's having that hard time with math homework, like I don't need you just to kind of be distant. I need you to be there with me.
0: Yeah, and this is where the empathy comes into play. I mean, I I think there's not many people out there who who would disagree that math is typically really hard for a lot of people. I mean, I'm a therapist, and I don't even think with that part of my brain, and I I, I I tend to be very emotionally driven. Uh-huh. And I know what it's like to to have to struggle in a math class or even have to take a math class twice because I didn't pass uh-huh. it or or worried about how I did on a test. I've got a twenty one year old son who's going to college right now and he's taking the math ten fifty class. and we talk probably the most about that math class, even though I know he does well, he and he and he's always excelled with the. Uh, the analytical subjects. But for whatever reason, he still has a lot of that anxiety with, with taking this math class. And even though I can't necessarily help him, I'm, I'm still there as, you know, as dad, he's going to listen and, and talk about, you know, maintaining balance and taking breaks and, and doing all of those other things that I know I can do that's going to help him out without necessarily being able to tutor him in math, because I figure there's mm-hmm. somebody else there that can help him out with that part of his life.
1: Oh, yeah. I love that. Goodness. Well, this has been a really rich conversation, and thank you for giving so many great tips about how we can meet our kids' needs, help them be more resilient. This is just really wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
0: I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me.
1: If this episode resonated with you,
0: you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident.
1: You can choose to
0: create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.